Hello and welcome to Seeing Red, a true crime podcast. I'm Mark. And I'm Bethan. Thank you so much for joining us once again. Thank you everyone who got in touch about last week's episode. It was really interesting to hear your thoughts and something I thought was really interesting and I probably should try and be less biased perhaps in the future is that a couple of people did say that they're not sure about Browning's guilt, which I thought was really interesting, whereas to me it seems pretty cut and dry, whereas you said you had that element of a what if. Um, So yeah, thank you everyone who got in touch and chatted about the episode. Yeah, thank you. And thank you also to our newest Patreon supporters. Do you want me to do the honours, Bethan? Yeah, because I love the last one. I want to hear you say it. (laughs) Well, I, I did have to look at it and I kind of understand it now. So we have Nicholas Nixon, Sharon, Sarah Barton, Gemma Parrish, Pia Giardani and Smash an Egg on You. How random. (laughs) I'm not sure if it's a threat or a promise, but uh, go ahead, please. If you would like to join these guys and get your hands on loads of different stuff at Patreon, all you need to do is head over to patreon.com slash seeingredpodcast. This week we're heading to West Berkshire to take a deep dive into a painfully recent high-profile murder case which made headlines throughout the UK and beyond. It was a callous crime that shocked the nation. Not just because the victim was a 13-year-old autistic child, but because the murder was initiated, planned, discussed and set in motion in plain view of countless thousands of young and impressionable social media users. And any one of them could have actually prevented it from happening. For the family of the victim, the tragedy came out of the blue and took them completely off guard. However, for countless others, what happened to 13-year-old Ollie Stevens was no surprise whatsoever. It had long been anticipated. The boy had been in mortal danger for several weeks, and many others, even some of Ollie's own friends, knew that it was only a matter of time before his online enemies came for him. However, even though potentially hundreds of young social media users knew full well at the time that something terrible was about to happen, nobody intervened. Nobody raised the alarm, nobody blew the whistle on the overflow of violence and danger that was seeping from deep within the darkest corners of the online world and into the real one. I am so glad you're covering this case because I really didn't feel able to look at it in a lot of detail when it happened. And I, I don't know, like I know Ollie's name and I know the very bare bones of the case, but I'm really glad that you're going to tell us. Yeah, it's it's just a tragic case, isn't it? It always is when it's a murder of a child, but when that murder's perpetrated by other children, it just kind of blows my mind. And also this whole thing of the internet, like that's something that really does scare me because we are in quite a fortunate position where we grew up without it so we can really see from a clear point of view dangers and risk factors. But these children are growing up with social media as the norm and it does terrify me being the parent of two young children. It's just kind of like, well... What are they growing up into? So, I, yeah, it's just a horrible, horrible topic. So thank you for covering this for Ollie's memory and getting us the information that we actually can then know everything that happened. Yeah. This case serves as a reminder that beneath the relative safety of the world in which we inhabit, there lies the darkness and anonymity of the online world. 
The internet can be defined as a global network of interconnected computer networks and devices that communicate with each other using a standardised set of protocols and technologies. It's a world that never sleeps. It has become mankind's most relied upon form of technology. However, it has also become a powerful tool for evil too and has, in equal measure, destroyed as many lives as it has helped to create. It also reminds us that none are more vulnerable to the dangers of the internet than children. Ollie Stevens was born on the 1st of November in 2007, and grew up in the suburb of Emma Green in Reading in Berkshire. He was the son of Amanda and Stuart Stevens, and had a younger sister named Amelia. Ollie was said to be a bright and sociable boy, with a passion for computer games and a love for animals. He attended Highdown School and Sixth Form Centre, where he was known for his friendly and helpful nature. He was also a member of the school's fencing team and had recently started playing the guitar. Emma Green, the small suburb where Ollie and his family lived, sits two miles north of the town centre. It's an affluent and safe area of the town that has historically enjoyed relatively low crime rates. The estate backs onto a popular beauty spot and nature reserve called Bugs Bottom. A small, no, I like I know, that. I knew you would love it's that. It's so random. A small area of hilly meadow grassland that features a small, mature woodland and a bridleway which allows cyclists and horses to pass through. Ollie had lived in the suburb his whole life and had enjoyed a happy, middle-class childhood. He was keen on skiing, fishing and particularly rugby, which he watched with his father at London Irish RUFC, where at age seven he was a team's mascot. Ollie was intelligent and articulate, but he struggled in certain areas and experienced some difficulties at school with his learning and development. When he transitioned from middle school to secondary, he found it difficult to settle in. Towards the end of 2020, he was diagnosed with a mild form of autism. Reminiscing about Ollie's fun-loving character, Dad Stewart told the media, For a quarter of the family, he was 80% of the entertainment. He was always full of life, he gave everything a go, and anything he approached, he did so wholeheartedly. He sounds like such a cool kid, he sounds so cute and full of life, and all these different hobbies, like, that's so well-rounded. And I love that he got to be a mascot for his favourite rugby team. I know, that is so adorable. The Stevens family were close-knit and they lived a happy and contented life in the Reading suburb that was their home. But no sooner had the year 2021 gotten started than tragedy descended on the family in an unimaginable way. The Stevens family's lives were forever changed on the 3rd of January in 2021. It was the Sunday after Christmas and the family were preparing to go back to work and school the next day. At around 3.15 in the afternoon, Ollie left the house telling his mum that he was off to meet a friend on Bugs Bottom and that he would be home shortly. He assured his mum that he would have his phone's location switched on so that she could see where he was. As a 13-year-old boy who was considered vulnerable, this was often a condition that was imposed upon Ollie whenever he went anywhere alone. Having said that, despite his condition, Ollie was a relatively independent and outgoing young teenager and would often venture out of the house to meet friends. On that particular Sunday afternoon in January, nothing appeared to be out of the ordinary. Ollie appeared to be happy, calm and his usual upbeat self. As he put on a pair of sliders and slipped out of the front door, the last thing he said to his mum was, Love you mum. From the lounge, Amanda watched Ollie walk away from the house. Upstairs, Ollie's dad Stuart also caught a glimpse of his son leaving from the bedroom window. 
Neither of them knew that this would be the last time they would see their boy alive. At around 3.45pm, not even 30 minutes after Ollie had left the house, Amanda heard a loud and urgent knocking at the front door. Guessing that it was probably just Ollie returning to the house much earlier than expected, she answered the door, only to be faced with a familiar young boy who lived on the estate. The boy was breathless, tearful and panic-stricken, having just sprinted to the house. After composing himself, he blurted out, Ollie's been stabbed. Oh my God, you can't even imagine, can you? You're expecting it to be your son come home and then you're faced with this. I think it would just, having seen him leave the house as well, not 30 minutes hence, and then this is what you're Mm -hmm. being presented with. It must have just been so difficult to take in that information. And Amanda just froze, her blood ran cold, and in a state of panic she shouted upstairs for her husband, Stuart, but he'd already heard what the young boy had said and was racing down the stairs. He didn't even bother to put his shoes on. He ran in his socks down the street and onto the muddy hills of Bugs Bottom in a desperate race to save his son. And Amanda wasn't far behind. It didn't take them long to find Ollie. He was lying unconscious and seriously injured, just metres away from the home in which he had grown up in. He'd been stabbed several times. His clothes were saturated with blood. An off-duty nurse who had witnessed the incident had called for paramedics, who had responded quickly and were now desperately attempting to give Ollie life-saving CPR. Bystanders later described the harrowing moment when Stuart dropped to his knees and screamed out, My boy, my boy, no. He knelt, held his son's hand, and tearfully begged Ollie not to leave him. This is just so upsetting, isn't it? Oh my God, honestly, it's just... I've got no words, I just can't even imagine. Like, this is just horrible. Even for the people watching, this must have been heartbreaking. But yeah, for Amanda and Stuart, I mean... And it's it, it's even to the... You know, it's the things like he hasn't even got his shoes on. He's literally just run. I know, I, I could picture that scene vividly mm-hmm. in my head. And this was January. This It would have been freezing cold, wet, probably, you know, rotten weather. And he is just that father's instinct, just running to to go to Mm -hmm. his boy and attempt to save him. But unfortunately, it was clear that Ollie wasn't going to survive his ordeal. Even by the time the paramedics had arrived, it was already too late to save him. At just 13 years old, Ollie Stevens died at the scene. His official cause of death was massive blood loss as a result of two catastrophic knife wounds. Eyewitnesses confirmed to police that Ollie had gotten into a physical altercation with a group of three youngsters, two boys and a girl, who looked to be in the same age range as Ollie. The ruckus had been short but violent and had initially been a one-on-one fight between Ollie and just one of the other boys. According to witnesses, Ollie had gained the upper hand and knocked his opponent to the ground. At this point, the second boy had intervened, produced a large knife and stabbed Ollie twice, once in the back, and then fatally in the chest. The wounds were deep and catastrophic, severing several major arteries. After being stabbed, Ollie attempted to stagger home. After managing to take just a few slow and laboured steps, he collapsed and quickly lost consciousness. After stabbing him, all three of his attackers had fled the scene and left Ollie to die. Police investigators were shocked and appalled by the cowardly way in which Ollie had been killed, and of course a murder investigation was swiftly launched. The circumstances were strange. Ollie was not a delinquent. 
He had no criminal record, he was not known to be involved in any gang-related activity. However, the police immediately believed that the attack had not been random. It had all the hallmarks of an ambush. Ollie was an average middle-class schoolboy who had been inexplicably targeted, but he had been targeted for a reason. Ollie's devastated family members could not offer any explanation as to the identity of his killers, or why the three youngsters would have wanted Ollie dead. God, it's just... You just can't imagine, like, why why him? Yeah, you would, because this is just a totally normal kid. Uh, a loving kid that is quite independent, has friends, has struggled to settle into middle school, but does have friends and does go out and about. This would be the last thing from their mind. Even for any typical worried parent, it might be there at the back of your mind somewhere, but you're not going to be consciously thinking that this could happen to your child and it has happened to their child. And this is like a middle class, quite affluent area. There's very little crime. It's not, you know, it's not somewhere that you're thinking, well, my child might be involved in gangs, like when we've talked about um, areas before. Yeah, there, there would be no reason for them to believe that Ollie would have been in danger. Analyzing the information and witness statements that they had to hand, investigators theorized that perhaps the attack had been the outcome of an ongoing dispute with other youths. They also began working on the hypothesis that the attack on Ollie had initially been intended to just be a beating and that things had perhaps escalated out of control when Ollie had unexpectedly gained the upper hand and overpowered his attacker. The theory being that the second boy had gotten scared, pulled the knife and stabbed Ollie not only to save face but also because he knew he stood little chance of beating him in a fair fight. The police went door to door in Emma Green and soon discovered that a nearby neighbour's doorbell camera had captured something interesting. The footage, taken just moments after Ollie had left his house, clearly showed the teenager tapping out a message on his phone as he casually and calmly wandered out of his street and in the direction of Bugs Bottom. The police reviewed the footage and asked themselves the question, who was he texting? From the beginning of the investigation, the police knew that, owing to the age of the children involved and the culture to which they all belonged, the best place to begin their investigation was by going on social media. Ollie's phone was examined and the police managed to get access to all of his social media accounts. They expected to find some valuable clues as to the identity of his perpetrators or some mention of Ollie that may allude to whatever it was he'd gotten himself caught up in. However, what they found shocked them to their very core. Ollie's parents would later admit their shock at the disturbing world of violence and hate that their son and his friends had inhabited through their phones. The police gained access to Ollie's Snapchat account and were shocked at how quickly the story unfolded. In the weeks before he was killed, Ollie had seen a video of a younger boy being patterned by two other youths. Mm, what's that? That's weird. It is. I've never heard of this before. So patterning is a slang term that has been unofficially defined as an assault or an act of humiliation that's deliberately filmed to then be shared across social media. So an example of patterning would be forcing someone to do something embarrassing on camera, uh, perhaps under the threat of physical violence. It could be dancing naked or making some self-derogatory comments the footage is then spread over social media to cause the victim the maximum amount of public and online shame and embarrassment possible. So for me, it kind of reminded me of Happy Slapping, which we've talked about previously, 
this is this there is an added element here because it can be an assault that's filmed and then goes viral but there is also this added element of it can just be uh forcing somebody into an embarrassing situation um which is just kids are just so fucking horrible at times aren't they oh it's just horrible it's just awful yeah Ollie happened to see a patterning video on his Snapchat and soon realised that he personally knew the family of the boy in the video who was being subjected to public humiliation. He took pity on the victim and decided he wanted to help him. So he forwarded the video on to the victim's older brother who intervened behind the scenes and forced the boys who had made the video to remove it. Somehow the two boys who made the humiliation video found out that it was Ollie who had alerted the victim's older brother and they were furious. Online, they smeared his name around, branding him a grass and a snitch, and ominously warning others that Ollie would pay for his actions. God, who do they think they are? The craze or something, honestly. Yeah, And And I'm saying that, knowing what they actually go on to do, but I'm just like, you're so pathetic, you're children. I know. And I mean, of course it gets worse, but it also gets worse in terms of the text message exchanges, the voice notes that I'm going to go on to detail, the way they were speaking to each other and their friends. Yeah, it's it's weird because it's it's very much influenced by gang culture, a lot of the language that's used, and they're young boys, Ollie's age, and they are talking like wannabe grown-ups, really. So, yeah, it's a real worry where they were being influenced and how they were being influenced and by whom. A series of damning Snapchat exchanges were captured in what the two boys openly and publicly expressed their violent hatred of Ollie, branding him a bitch and a snake. In Reading, the true identities of Ollie's killers are relatively well known, but due to their young ages, we are legally restricted from revealing their names. To that end, we will henceforth refer to the three individuals as Boy A, Boy B and Girl X. Boy A said online, I actually hate the kid with a passion. If I was to see him right now, I'd probably end up killing him. These comments were made on several open posts that received hundreds of views and likes. Eventually, direct messages between Ollie and Boy A were discovered, in which the two boys exchanged insults towards one another. So obviously this was after Boy A had found out that Ollie was responsible for forwarding this video to a previous victim's older brother. Boy A made clear threats of physical, real-world violence, which Ollie seemed to find amusing. If he was scared, he certainly wasn't showing it in his messages. This further angered Boy A and Boy B, and between them they began hatching a plan to take violent revenge on Ollie in the real world. The boys had never met Ollie face to face, and the dispute up until this point had unravelled exclusively online. However, Snapchat and its millions of users willingly provided the two boys with all the information they needed. Before long, they had found out roughly where Ollie lived and had also recruited one of Ollie's female friends to lure him to Bugs Bottom, the isolated meadowland where they planned to beat him, pattern him, video the whole thing and share it online. So that they have deliberately recruited this young girl who was a friend of Ollie's to bring him there. So she's absolutely uh, culpable in this. Within the first 24 hours of the investigation, the three youngsters who had been seen attacking Ollie had been all but identified. Girl X was the only one of the three who knew Ollie in real life, and she had met him several times face to face. So I don't know whether she was a school friend, but she was certainly an acquaintance as a, as a minimum. 
She'd not met either boy A or boy B face to face up until the day that Ollie was attacked. Uh, She only knew them on social media. The fact that Ollie's two attackers were merely social media strangers to Girl X up until the day in question makes it even more astonishing that she was so happy and eager to help them. When the police later reviewed Snapchat messages between the three suspects, the police were astonished at just how little convincing was required to get Girl X in on the plan. If anything, she appeared to be excited to be a part of Ollie's impending downfall. One of her last messages to Boy A and Boy B read, Karma. Ollie deserves all of this. Fucking little bitch. Oh, just disgusting. So fucked up. On the day that Ollie was killed, Gerlach sent a series of voice messages to a friend as she made her way to Bugs Bottom to initiate this ambush. In the messages, she excitedly states, I'm setting Ollie up today. Boy A and Boy B are going to bang him and pattern him and shit. I'm so fucking excited you don't understand. Pray for me. She later added, Actually not even scared, I'm just like vibing, do you get me? What a fucking stupid girl. She later added... I don't know if you said before, but can you remember... So how old was she? I don't, I can't, I don't think I've mentioned her age yet, but she's the same age as Ollie. So we're talking a 13-year-old girl here. Oh In another message to another friend, she wrote, I don't care if he fucking dies, I honestly don't. Just, words fail me. Simultaneously, she was persistently messaging Ollie, relentlessly pushing him to meet her at Bugs Bottom that Sunday afternoon. Ollie eventually agreed and the trap was set. It's unclear whether Ollie was even aware that he had been marked for a violent reprisal. If he was, he certainly didn't show any kind of outward fear or concern about it. He may have kept quiet about it in order to not cause a fuss, silently hoping that the threats were empty, or maybe he just wasn't afraid enough of his tormentors to take their threats seriously. We'll never know for sure. When Ollie arrived in Bugs Bottom and met Girl X, he was immediately set upon by Boy A, who physically attacked him from behind when he was least expecting it, throwing a barrage of punches at Ollie's head and face. Despite the initial shock, Ollie was able to stay on his feet. He weathered the blows and began to fight back. Within seconds, Ollie had returned a series of powerful punches of his own, which struck Boy A several times, eventually knocking him to the ground. Good for him, yeah. It really shows what kind of guy this is. The ambush, of course, wasn't going to plan at all. For all their big talk and malicious planning online, Ollie was winning. Girl X and Boy B stood on the sidelines, becoming increasingly concerned, until Boy B made the cowardly decision to pull out his knife and intervene. The first knife wound entered Ollie's back. It was so swift that Ollie didn't even realise he'd been stabbed, and he continued fighting off Boy A. Then, as he turned to face Boy B, the knife was plunged into his chest. It's understood that Ollie staggered backwards a few steps, then collapsed almost immediately, bleeding heavily from his catastrophic injuries. As passers-by who had witnessed the shocking scenes raced to his aid, his killers fled the scene, leaving him for dead. So this wasn't done in a discreet location, this was done with people around, which makes it even worse. Yeah, because I think when you were describing it initially, I was thinking they were right in the middle of the woods or something, and then you said he was just metres from his home, and yeah. not managed to flee very far as well. So, yeah, that's that makes it somehow so, like even worse. Like these kids are just so brazen, so brazen, and they just don't give a fuck. They're just like, we we're gonna 
beast this guy and we're going to do what we want and we don't care what the consequences are. Although they, they kind of eventually did care what the consequences were, as we'll go on to here. But at the time it was, you know, the red mist descended and they were out for blood, literally. After the stabbing, messages exchanged between the three suspects suggested strongly that they knew they'd gone too far and that Ollie was probably dead. Gerlex expressed her frustration that Boy B had stabbed Ollie instead of just beating him up and patterning him as per their original plan. Boy B responded that he'd acted out of pure anger, stating, I didn't plan to fucking kill him, and later adding that killing Ollie was the biggest mistake of my life. So I think it is fair to say that that wasn't the plan. The plan wasn't to kill Ollie, but Boy B had brought a knife with him. And of course he he'd used it. He, he brought, brought a knife. knife. You don't yeah. bring a knife if you're not going to try and... If you don't even think about using it, yeah, do you? Yeah, 100%. The ensuing messages carried clear undertones of panic at this point. The type of fear you'd expect from three young teenagers who had found themselves in way over their heads. Their online activity outlined that all three suspects spent the next few hours endlessly scanning UK news websites for news of the attack. Later that afternoon, Boyer shared a screenshot of an online news report with the headline, Boy 13 killed in stabbing. And I'm not, I mean, obviously I'm never sticking up for these three despicable kids, but I can actually feel the panic that they would have felt desperately scanning the internet for news because they wouldn't have actually known until that point that Ollie was dead. And that would have been, I guess, the fear, wouldn't it? That, fuck, we've, we went way too far and, and we've killed him and there's going to be real consequences now. But yeah, And I'm not... ultimately, I suppose it is only Boy B who actually did do that. Like, Girl X has, has continued to say, like, I'm annoyed that you went that far and you did this. So... She obviously is still a horrible person that she was willing to do what she wanted to do and as far as she was willing to go. But then she has actually, you know, that wasn't what she wanted. That wasn't her plan whatsoever. No, and she she was out of all three of them clearly really scared and actually remorseful. She was the only one that really showed any remorse. The tone of her subsequent messages to several of her friends were that of a frightened child who was full of distress with nowhere to turn. Zero sympathy here. Elsewhere, in sickening contrast to what Gerlex was going through, Boy A and Boy B's attitudes in the immediate aftermath of the incident couldn't have been more different. They began contacting friends via voice messages, bragging about the attack and making up ridiculous claims that they had spent the evening being actively pursued through Reading by armed feds, as they called them. I think, I don't know, certain Uh. films and video games have got a lot to answer for. I get like so this. fed up with people who are British who call them the feds it's or the cops. And I'm like, you're so cringe. It's not the feds. It's not the cops. That's no. America. We're not in America. You're some little 13-year-olds living in Reading. What yeah. You, yeah. And to be bragging about this as well. But I think the use of the word feds is quite telling because it is an American term and... I think that does kind of show some of the influence for these boys and the girl possibly as well. So non, none of these claims of them being chased by the police turned out to be even close to accurate. The boys were simply revelling in their newly found notoriety while showing not one shred of remorse for what they'd done to Ollie. Their only concern was the potential consequences for what they'd done. All three of Ollie's killers then spent time removing incriminating apps, deleting messages and disposing of the clothes they were wearing at the time of the murder. 
It took the police less than 48 hours to successfully track down the three suspects and place them under arrest on suspicion of murder. Boy A, Boy B and Girl X were all denied bail and remanded in custody, which I was really pleased to hear and a little bit surprised about because I thought because of their ages, maybe they would be allowed to not be held on remand, but under curfew at home, under house arrest effectively. So I was pleased that they were immediately put into custody. I guess, though, it's the social media aspect, so that, that at least this way you know for sure they haven't got access to any social media, maybe. Yeah, that's, that's well, a really good point. As well as being a danger, because they're clearly a danger to an, anybody, really. Um, yeah, I, I guess mean, at I least this way you know what you can be in control of. Yeah, I, d- I don't know why I'm even questioning it or why I'm surprised, because they've murdered this boy and they are hugely dangerous and there's no way they couldn't not be remanded in custody because they could have got rid of further evidence, you're right. The murder investigation that followed the incident was an enormous effort. Dozens of children who had interacted with Ollie and his alleged killers in the run-up to the aftermath of the tragedy were interviewed, with some being ordered to submit their chat data for analysis. All told, the detectives spoke to more than 50 children in their investigation and seized nearly 70,000 pages of evidence from their phones. Wow. Almost 2,000 voice notes were also recovered and listened to across 41 devices. I mean, if you think we use our phones a lot, kids of that age, it's got to be 10 times more, hasn't it? Can you imagine having to sit and read through a load of 13-year-olds' messages as well? Oh, I mean, there's got to be... Officers. 60, it's 69,500 pages of evidence, which is going to be transcripts of uh, messages, voice notes, etc. That has got to be probably half a million messages, maybe a million messages. Mm. Uh, yeah, I can't imagine that job. And having to listen to those jumped up kids talking shit. Uh, not all of them, mm-hmm. because some of them were would have been Ollie's friends, for example. Um, but a lot of it would have just been horrific to listen to. As the police diligently went through the mountains of data, they were able to gather an enormous amount of evidence that placed the responsibility for Ollie's senseless murder firmly at the feet of Boy A, Boy B and Girl X. There was no shortage of leads for the police to work with in the immediate aftermath of the murder, but ultimately it was Boy A and Boy B's stupidity and arrogance which led to their downfall. Several of the messages that were recovered by police were so incriminating that they were treated as essentially admissions of guilt. For example, in one message, Boy A bragged to a friend, it was me and my boy in it. I started slapping him up and then my boy backed out and then fucking shanked him. I mean, I just cringe at having to say all of this. And it's said so stupidly, but, you know, this guy is bragging about murdering a boy. It's just barbaric. Worse still, within minutes of fleeing the scene, both boys were individually FaceTiming their friends and openly bragging about what they'd done. Some of these interactions were recorded and the police would later be able to obtain the saved server data from several of their friends' phones and collect the incriminating videos as evidence. In fact, 90% of the evidence at Ollie's murder trial came from mobile phones as a result of all of that digital evidence. It soon emerged that Boy B, 
the individual who delivered the fatal stab wounds to Ollie, was well known to children's services and his school had repeatedly flagged up concerns about his violent tendencies and the danger he posed to others, including repeated incidents of threats of harm to others with blades, physical assault on other children, possession of cannabis and involvement in violent organised crime gangs. How mad is that for his age? All of that. That uh, is... Just Just, terrifying, isn't it? It really is. We also know that from an early age, Boy B had been given a diagnosis of Asperger's syndrome, a form of autism, and may have been actively exploited by county lines drug gangs who would have potentially taken full advantage of his vulnerability, which doesn't excuse his behaviour though. Records state that Boy B's mother repeatedly declined offers of support from the local authority, resulting in any issues that had been raised repeatedly being closed down. So I suppose different organisations were trying to get involved in this situation of her having this wayward child, but she was closing it down all the time and they were closing the case. I suppose when you open your doors to a lot of those services, lots of things become documented. It can be a gateway to other services becoming involved like social services and the police. So I suppose in a way she's acted as gatekeeper to her boy and closed down the chance of, uh, yeah, of him kind of not turning out this way, if that makes sense. All things considered, given his violent criminal nature, everyone involved knew that a threat of violence made by Boy B was not to be taken lightly. However, here he was openly and publicly making threats to kill Ollie on Snapchat. The threats were viewed by hundreds, maybe thousands of other users, But there was no intervention, no one spoke up, no one went to the police to put a stop to this. In June 2021, Boy A and Boy B appeared at Reading Crown Court, where they were charged with murder. The trial lasted for several weeks and the court heard evidence from witnesses, forensic experts and psychologists. So just an important point at this point, although Boy A hadn't stabbed Ollie at all, he was charged with murder and was being tried for that too in the um, joint enterprise sort of side of things that we've looked at before and also the attack was fully premeditated so I agree that he should be charged for that yeah I agree too I I think Gerlach should have been tried for murder too the prosecution presented a mountain of digital and physical evidence and argued that the boys had carried out a premeditated and deliberate attack on Ollie motivated by a desire to cause harm and to gain notoriety The defence argued that the boys were vulnerable and had been influenced by violent images and messages online. They also suggested that the boys had not fully understood the consequences of their actions. I mean, I don't buy any of that defence in terms of not understanding the consequences of their actions. The uh, being influenced by violent images and messages online, yeah, I do buy that. And you've got people like Andrew Tate. Uh, you know, that's a real worry, isn't it? There's people out there that are influencers and influencing that generation to behave in terrible ways. In the end, the jury outright rejected the defence's argument and found both boys guilty of murder. Boyer, who had been the one to start the fight with Ollie, was given a life sentence with a minimum term of 12 years. Boy B, who fatally stabbed Ollie with the knife when he saw Boy A losing, was also handed a life sentence with a minimum term of 13 years, I suppose to reflect the fact that he did stab Ollie to death, uh, but equally culpable of Ollie's murder. 
Gerlex, who admitted manslaughter and did not stand trial, was sentenced to three years and two months. This was later increased to five years after an appeal hearing determined that the original sentence was too lenient. So because because that's not a life sentence, she could have been out in 18 months, which would have been appalling. And she could still be out in two and a half years as it is. Yeah, but at least she did admit it. That's something. Yeah, there is remorse there. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And we don't know her background and I'm not excusing her actions. But I think out of all three of these kids, she is the one that will hopefully be rehabilitated and go on to lead hopefully a normal life which is something that she is deprived Ollie of. For attempting to dispose of evidence, destroying bloody clothing and deleting incriminating messages and apps from their phones, Boy A and Boy B and Girl X were further convicted of perverting the course of justice. In a victim impact statement read at the trial, Dad Stewart said, We are strong enough to deal with most problems thrown our way, but this has completely broken us. Ollie trusted people too much, it was part of his makeup. it was part of his autism, it was why we loved him. He knew no sense of danger, he stood up for himself in a confrontation and was unable to back down, but was kind and loving. In his closing remarks, the judge said, It was absolutely a carefully calculated ambush on Ollie Stevens, designed to ensure he was caught off guard with no idea of what was going to happen. What you did was utterly cruel and utterly pointless. You've taken one life and you have damaged your own futures and you have caused so much pain to so many people. No one can say how your lives and how Ollie's life may have turned out if you'd not acted with such cruelty and such stupidity on January the 3rd of 2021. The effects of what you did will stay with you, your families and with Ollie's family forever. I really hope those words ring in their ears for for the rest of their lives. The murder of Ollie Stevens had a profound impact on the local community and of course the wider public. The news of his death was met with shock and disbelief and many people expressed their condolences to his family and friends. Vigils were held in his memory and flowers and messages were left at the park where he was killed. A hand-carved memorial bench has since been placed on the very spot in Bugs Bottom where he passed away. The case also raised important questions about the factors that can lead to violent behaviour in young people and the responsibility of parents, schools and society as a whole in preventing these kinds of tragedies. Many people called for more action to be taken to address the issue of online content that promotes violence and hatred and to improve mental health support for young people who may be struggling with their emotions and behaviour. Ollie's parents, Amanda and Stuart Stevens, spoke out about their son's death and called for greater awareness of the risks posed by online content. In a statement they said, We cannot bring Ollie back, but we can try to prevent this from happening to other families. We need to understand the role that social media and the internet can play in shaping young minds, and we need to take action to protect our children. Stuart Stevens also called for the leading social media companies to take responsibility for the violent and harmful content and activity that is allowed to occur freely on their platforms. Speaking to the BBC, he said, They hunted him, tracked him and executed him through social media. Social media is not guilty of the murder, but it did nothing to protect him. And without it, he'd still be here. It is a crazy situation. You have companies based in San Francisco harvesting your children's data and making a lot of money out of it, and yet when a child dies, they are not held accountable. 
The only analogy I have for it is if you were a car manufacturer and you make a car and it has a faulty petrol tank or has faulty brakes and people die because of that, you're up in court and you are held accountable. With social media, no one is held to account and that to me is a big problem because our children are using these tools to threaten, harm and kill each other. I just thought he put that so brilliantly and that really analogy eloquently is so put, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Stuart and Amanda Stevens have since made an impassioned plea for young people not to use weapons in the aftermath of their son's death. They said, So many young lives and the lives of their families have been devastated by this callous and cold-hearted act. Knife crime needs to stop now. While the Stevens family no longer celebrate Christmas, a tree that stands just metres from the spot where Ollie was killed is adorned with baubles and festive decorations. The tree was planted by Mr Stevens as a tribute to his son a couple of months after his death and is decorated throughout the year by passers-by. And it's where his family and friends have gathered for Ollie's birthday, November the 1st, for the last two years. It makes me so sad that they no longer celebrate Christmas. Whilst I understand why, that just really is heartbreaking, isn't it? I I thought the same. It's really sad. And it's just, you can't really avoid Christmas either. No, exactly. There's constant reminders around you that Christmas is coming up consistently. So it's almost like a cruel reminder of like the anniversary of your son's death's coming up, by the way. Like every time you step into a shop and you see Christmas items or music's playing, it must just be so difficult. And also things like if you're at work and there's a secret Santa kind of saying, I don't really want to be involved in that or to other people if it comes up in conversation that you you don't have plans for Christmas because, you know, you don't celebrate oh, it. Oh, you ask everyone, don't you? What yeah, are you doing for Christmas? Yeah, you're then Always. having to explain yeah. to strangers who don't know your situation that, you know, actually I, we don't celebrate it because my son was murdered just days after Christmas and it's it's too hard for us to, to focus on it. So, yeah, it's just it's really tragic. One of our Patreon supporters... Um, lost a family I'm not going to say like details and stuff because obviously that's his private thing to discuss but he has mentioned that before you know we lost a family member at that time and it is it's it's a really tricky thing to then you know you have to say that to somebody that's bringing up something really personal so it's a lot isn't it it's not you've not just it's not just that one day and I think sometimes it is easy to think like oh you know that anniversary but actually the anniversary is surrounded by the rest of the year as well. It never stops being on your mind. No. Near to this tree stands a large wooden memorial bench carved in the shape of a comfy-looking sofa. Mr Stevens said these tributes provide a focal point for people to remember Ollie and what an amazing kid he was, and that's what we'll do. We'll remember him for the great kid he was, not for the horrific circumstances in which his life ended. Yeah, what an absolute legend. He just sounded like a well-rounded, amazing kid. So fair play to his family and fair play to him. Absolutely. Thank you for listening. And we'll be back next week. Hopefully I won't be as bunged up uh, for another case. I know you don't sound well, bless you. You've done well there. You've done well to get through the the recording because you sound poorly. I got through Crime Wave Live last night and I got through You did. Uh, So yeah, we will be back next week with another case. So we will see you then. Bye.